Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 364. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week we bring you All Our Past Places by Cat Howard. Cat short fiction's been previously published in audio as part of NPR Selected Shorts and on podcasts for Lightspeed, Nightmare, and forthcoming in Uncanny, and has been published in a variety of print magazines. Her novella, The End of the Sentence, co-written with Maria Devana Headley, was chosen as one of NPR's best books of 2014, and her debut novel, Roses and Rot, is forthcoming from Sega Press in 2016. This story was originally published in the July 2014 issue of the Journal of Unlikely Cartography. The story is produced this week by rotating Drabblecast producer extraordinaire Brian Lincoln of the Full Cast Podcast, the only place you need to go for in-depth discussion of audio narration and full cast audio production. More of Brian's brilliant stuff can be found at lincolnaudio.com. Reading our story this week are Blythe Haynes and K.T. Brisky. So without further ado, we bring you All Our Past Places by Cat Howard. All of Our Past Places by Cat Howard. Aoife always told me that you could go anywhere as long as you had the right map. So when it happened, my first thought, when I let myself into her apartment after not hearing from her for three days was this weird feeling of pride. She'd done it. She was gone. Then the fullness of what had happened hit me. She was gone. I checked, and checked again. Her apartment was nearly empty. The refrigerator had a couple of cartons of takeaway whose contents ranged from edible to dear God and cream for her coffee. The usual. And then there were her maps covering almost every flat surface in the place. The ones she had collected. The ones she was sure were the way there. All of the maps that had St. Patrick's Purgatory marked on them had been unrolled, tacked flat, arranged one on top of the other. I was sure there was a reason for their order, and that I would have understood it if I were Aoife. Whatever the reason was, though, without her, I couldn't parse it. What I could see was that, on each of the maps... St. Patrick's Purgatory was gone. 
in its place, a small hole with burnt edges. With the maps arranged as they were, the burnt-out places were all exactly the same, as if a fire had caught, right there, and then been immediately extinguished. I yanked my hands away, stepped back from the table, and reminded myself that I was being ridiculous. People didn't go to purgatory, or if they did, it was after they were dead. If they went to St. Patrick's Purgatory, that blip on the map of Loch Derg, Ireland, it was by taking a ferry to Station Island. They didn't go by disappearing into a map, like some faux-charming, this-is-how-our-story-begins, cold open from a crappy animated movie. Except, Aoife was gone. And there was a hole in each map in the place where St. Patrick's Purgatory had been. The thing, of course, that's supposed to happen in a situation like this is that you follow the other person to the underworld. You bring them back. I mean, I'd been around Aoife long enough to be familiar with the stories. I knew the rules. Someone went to the underworld, someone else came to get them, and then things didn't work out. The end. Still, as far as underworlds and afterlives went, purgatory was a little different. The writers who'd claimed they'd been had also usually claimed that God sent them back to tell the story. Let's be honest. I had no idea what sort of framework I was operating in here, but waiting around and relying on God to zap Aoife back home so she could write about her purgatorial experiences in verse as if she were Dante wasn't a plan I could get behind. If there was going to be a way out of this mess, the maps would be the key. That was how things worked. If you wanted to get somewhere, you needed a map. The only problem with that was... Whatever Aoife had done had erased St. Patrick's purgatory from them. Places disappear from maps all the time. Maps from today will not include Czechoslovakia, East Germany, or the free independent republic of West Florida. There are reasons for these disappearances. Places choose new names. Wars are fought. Peace is one. It sounds simple, but it isn't. We say the borders of countries are just lines on a map, but places run deeper in us than that. When Aoife and I were in high school, the boundaries of Prussia had been an ongoing joke in our AP European history class. Constantly altered by reasons of conflict and history, it seemed as if they had been redrawn on a whim traced one way and then the next, with the specific intent of frustrating us all those years later. We never gave any thought to the people in those redrawn boundaries. We never asked ourselves what happens when a country is literally erased from the map. We met because of a map, Aoife and I. When we were kids, Aoife would make what she called atlases. It's as good a word as any for them, I guess. She would take maps, any kind she could get her hands on, the kind you buy on impossible-to-fold paper at the gas station, or from the blue-edged chunks of appendix at the back of social studies books, or once, the surface of a globe, peeled and laid flat, and she would cut them into pieces and tape them back together. (laughs) 
<laughs> they were impossible to use if you were actually trying to get somewhere. The last time I checked, Mordor has no contiguous boundaries with Bismarck, North Dakota. She'd walk around the neighborhood with them, a cartographer examining her work. One day, she was standing at the bottom of my driveway, pencil in hand, making notes. What are you doing? I asked. Checking locations, she said, looking from the plum tree in the yard back to her map and nodding. Why? So the map will be right. So I can go. Go where? Wherever I want. Somewhere else. Can I come with you? She looked at me very seriously. I fidgeted under her scrutiny, raising one foot up to scratch at a mosquito bite behind the other knee. Okay, she said finally. I'm Aoife. I'm Mirren. After that, we went everywhere together. Until she went to purgatory. So, I would need a map. A map to go to Purgatory, to get Aoife back. I left her pile of maps untouched, afraid that if I moved them, it might close whatever door it was she had opened. I went back to the beginning, to the maps Aoife had made when we were kids. <laughs> her atlases. They were carefully folded and stored inside a cedar chest that had 17th century shipping routes carved on its lid. She never let me help make them, those summers of 4th and 5th and 6th grade. I could go on the adventures, but she always picked the places, always was the one to craft our way there. I never fought with her about that. Even then, I knew she was the one of us who needed to get away. I opened the chest to find it packed full of maps, folded one on top of the other, taped and stapled pages creating countries that never existed. I shook my head at myself, acknowledging the ridiculousness of what I was doing, and began unfolding them. They smelled like youth and summer, like dried grass and melted ice pops that turn your tongue neon blue, like the coconut of sunscreen and the dull plastic scent of band-aids. Grains of sand fell from them to the floor, and I found a piece of crayon wrapper, one of the darker blues, and the orange and black wing of a butterfly still bright. Mile markers of our summers, of going anywhere but here, of finding all of the possible somewhere else's, of always feeling found, as I walked on those impossible quests of Aoife's, even though I never knew from day to day where we were going. The one place I never walked her to was her house. It's better if we go to yours, Marin. We need a fixed point, like True North. I had seen the bruises on her arms, heard my parents talk about Aoife's dad when they thought I wasn't around, so I understood, a bit, why she needed a reason to center the maps somewhere other than her house. Plus, I live on Rose Avenue, I said, like a compass rose. Exactly, Aoife had said, and her smile had bloomed across her face. I brushed my hand across my eyes so my tears wouldn't fall on the maps and obscure them. We think about maps like they are a kind of great truth. 
Like, if you find the right one, then you'll know the one true way to where you're going, and you'll be able to get there safely on the most direct path, the straight and narrow, that avoids both the woods and the wolves within them. But as anyone who's ever gotten lost while reading a map, or stopped just short of the lake their GPS was trying to drive them into knows, it's never quite that simple. Maps are often made with small, deliberate errors, cartographers watermarking their work, paper towns and cartographic graffiti. Sometimes the errors persist, and we navigate around someone's imaginary land. Sometimes you just keep going, astounded when you don't run out of road. Even when she stopped making maps of her own, Aoife never lost interest in them. She was my best friend, so I adopted her obsessions as my own. It was what you did when you were 11, 12, and I never grew out of it. I studied cartography. I learned how to draw a compass rose and the difference between a side reel rose and the classic 12 wind rose. I drew them in the pages of my notebooks, increasingly elaborate in their construction, full of symbols for the winds, whose names I wrote out in all the old languages of map-making. I got comfortable with the idea that there are monsters in the margins, and when I turned 18, I had Hic Sunt Leones tattooed on the inside of my left wrist. Here are lions, the words that denoted unknown territories. Aoife went with me and had Ultima written on her left ankle and Thule on her right another phrase from the edges of the maps, past the borders of the known world, like wherever she was now. It was the old maps, the ones with things like Hic Sunt Leones on their outermost margins and sea monsters drawn in their oceans that started Aoife's obsession with purgatory. There was this map from 1492 by the cartographer Martin Beheim. It was meant to be a map of the entire world, the only thing marked on Ireland was St. Patrick's Purgatory. Aoife cocked her head and traced her finger over the tiny, mostly unmarked Ireland. Hmm, she said. Why does this place matter so much? That started a flurry of searching for other maps, looking for ones that had St. Patrick's Purgatory marked. I waited for this to be a thing like her earlier obsessions— for her to begin making maps or palimpsests of instructions to the underworld that sent Enina walking side by side with Persephone. They call it the Forgotten County, you know, Aoife said, bent over a stack of books and papers. County Donegal, where St. Patrick's Purgatory is. Parts of it permanently depopulated during the famine. Whole towns just disappeared from the map. Even today, it only has just over half the population it had when the famine started lost and disappeared. Seems like the kind of place where you might find purgatory, then. There were people who said they had, old, old stories. Some medieval knight who actually slept in the cave on Station Island, the actual St. Patrick's Purgatory, back when you could still do that. When he woke up, he said he'd had visions of purgatory before Dante was even born. So it's not like Aoife was the first person to think the place really was a gateway to purgatory. 
but I am pretty sure she was the first person to think she could get there through a map. She scoured the internet for them, bought any map she could that had St. Patrick's Purgatory marked, regardless of provenance or condition. Some were torn and stained, burnt. Some were barely more than fragments. She kept them all. How many do you need? I asked her. Enough to have confidence in the boundaries. I'm just going to remind you again that for the money you've spent collecting these, you could have bought multiple trips to Ireland. I set a plate of pasta with butter and cheese next to her, hoping she would eat. I keep telling you, I'm not trying to get to Ireland. I'm trying to get to purgatory. It was like walking backwards through our childhood, looking through Eva's maps. Not just in the sense of nostalgia, but in the sense that these maps were our compass rose, illuminating the cardinal directions of our past. I hadn't known then what she was making when she put together these atlases, hadn't realized that she was making maps of us. There was a map made up of all of the cities we had said we wanted to live in when we grew up, choosing them only by the sound of their names. Shanghai, Abu Dhabi, Kilkenny. There was another made of some of the countries we wanted to travel to, Prussia in the center because, as Aoife said, no place deserved to disappear forever. Our own city, sliced into pieces and collaged with maps of impossible places, Atlantis and Avalon. I looked at that one carefully, looking for a border in common with purgatory, but no. Only the river Lethe, cut from its banks and spiraled on top, connecting all of them like a thread. Aoife was still gone. I marked on the calendar all the days I thought she might come back. Feast days and holy days, forty days and forty nights, and other dates from other pilgrimages to the lands of the dead. Dead, I said out loud, letting the weight of the word fall flatly against the air in this room full of maps. I said it again. Dead. Because, of course... It was possible. Possible that she hadn't passed through the maps like a glowing spark. Possible that she hadn't gone to purgatory at all, at least not as a living woman, but was somewhere else. A body, not Aoife. Possible that, even if she had gone to purgatory, there was some sort of expiration date on her visit, that when her visa expired, she wouldn't get deported, but instead made like all the other souls there. I didn't say it a third time. Cartography, the making of maps, is based on the idea that we can model reality. When it comes to a map, the reality being modeled is usually some kind of physical location. I looked at the room I sat in, covered with Aoife's maps, Maps that modeled no reality, except the one she wanted them to have. The River Lethia as red thread connecting the pieces. Maps to places she imagined into being. Maps to the places we once were. A pile of maps, purgatory burned through, erased from existence. You could go anywhere, so long as you had the right map. 
That was what I needed, if I was going to bring Aoife home again. I left Aoife's for the first time in days, blinking wraith-like against the sun, walking a path of circles through all the places that had been our maps. I gathered takeout flyers from our favorite restaurant, with their delivery ranges hand-scribbled over the dessert list, and folded concert posters from the club we snuck into with bad fake ID to dance at, directions stamped in the bottom right corner, and an old history textbook from our high school, one that had a map of Prussia in it. Bits and pieces of our reality. I took them back to Aoife's and got to work. First, I drew the compass rose, side wheel, because the stars were everywhere. All 32 points, the rising and setting positions of the brightest stars in the Northern Hemisphere, with myself as Polaris in the North, and Aoife as Sigma Octantis, the true Southern Pole Star, which is almost impossible to see unaided. Then I cut pieces from all of the things I had gathered this afternoon, and all of the maps Aoife had made. I cut the burnt-out center from one of Aoife's maps that had showed St. Patrick's Purgatory, a reproduction of Beheim's, the map that had started all of this. A map should reflect reality, and I would use that piece as the blinking you-are-here icon that would help her find her way home. I fit all the pieces together, taping them tightly, until the borders between one and the next were erased. When it was almost complete... I wrote the words Hic Sunt Leones, not at the traditional place on the margin, but over the one place on the map I was unsure of. The center, Purgatory. The last piece I fit in the map was the marker for St. Patrick's Purgatory. I had mended the burnt-out spot, made sure that it was no longer missing from the map. And nothing happened. I thought it would be enough. Finish the magic. Bring back Aoife. But nothing. I closed my eyes tight and clenched my fists until my hands hurt. She was gone. Really gone. And I didn't know how to find her. Once I felt like I could breathe again, I got up. I folded all of Aoife's maps, the atlases, and put them back in the chest. I set my map on top of all of her maps of purgatory. Maybe I would buy a ticket to Ireland, go to Station Island, to a purgatory, even if it wasn't the one where Aoife was, where I could atone for not knowing how to find my lost friend. It was dark when I walked home, but I knew the way my parents' home that I had come back to for the summer between college years. Knew it well enough to walk it half-blinded by tears and exhaustion. So hey, nice map. You ended it at your house, though. Not mine. Still our true north, I guess. Her voice was rough. A glitch recording. She stood up from the front step, stumbled, then caught herself on the doorframe. Thanks for bringing me home. Aoife. How? I asked. Just like the way there. Through the map, she said, hugging me. Her hair smelled like stale earth, and I could feel the knobs of her spine. Her hands dug into my arms. I couldn't find a map. After I got there, 
After I realized I wanted to go home, I spent the whole time looking. But I couldn't find one. Not until you made it. I didn't ask. Not about anything. Not then. I just held her. Held her here. A fixed point in a map of turning stars. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's go now to our 100-character story winner this week, first-time winner, The Hall Man, with this one here. They all made fun of the flying man's handstands until he threatened not to push Earth out of the asteroid's way. One hundred character stories, not counting spaces. We have a weekly contest in our forums at forums.drabblecast.org, of which you can participate. Go to the TwitFix section, write one up, you can do it, you might be next week's winner. Follow the Drabblecast on Twitter, if you do that, at the Drabblecast. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Drabblecast is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Brian Delano. Brian's an aspiring artist, writer, and music maker living in Austin, Texas. His ultimate goal is world domination via the eyeballs and ear holes of the masses. You can help him in his endeavor by visiting his website, artaries.com, and further exposing yourself to the digital secretions of his brain. Our program this week was brought to you by Chief Editor Nathan Lee, our art director, Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you, I'm not trying to get to Ireland. I'm trying to get to purgatory. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.